Let's transition into the last week of our series, I Believe, exploring the theology of the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so um, this, this week we're going to talk about hope. Because you see, we have a lot of hope in, in, in our world. Um, so, like, so, for instance, I hoped the Dodgers would win the, the World Series. Okay? I grew up in L.A. I grew up going to Dodgers games, um, but they did not. So that did not work out all really well for me because I hoped that they would win. So I got really, really disappointed. Okay, I didn't get really disappointed. I got kind of disappointed. Okay, I didn't really get kind of— It barely phased me because I don't follow baseball. <laughs> it's not like that hope was built on anything. I didn't know their rosters. I didn't know their strengths, their weaknesses. I knew nothing about them. All I knew is that I grew up going to Dodgers games, and, and it would be cool if they won the World Series. Okay? See, the thing is, that's not really hope. That's just wishful thinking. Really what I'm saying is, I wish that the Dodgers would, would have won the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Sorry, the World Series. See, I don't even follow baseball. That's how bad I am at baseball. Okay. But it's just wishful thinking. And a lot of times when we, when we talk about hope, sometimes we just talk about wishful thinking. Because hope is entirely different. Hope is much deeper. It's much stronger. In fact, what you see up there is hope is the fuel that drives our decisions. Every single one of your decisions, every single one of my decisions is driven by hope but we're usually too busy to ever realize it. Let me give you some examples. So most of you, if you're working, you're working to earn money. And you want that money because you place your hope in the promise that money will improve your quality of life. Some of you have kids. Some of you want kids. You have kids and want kids because you place your hope in the promise that kids will add meaning to your life. They, they will give you a legacy. There's a promise associated with it. And then once you have kids, you wish you could just give them back. Okay? You take your phone into the bathroom because you place your hope in the promise that you can be distracted for a few minutes. And if you have kids, you're placing your hope in the promise that you might get one to two minutes by yourself. And then you hear him knock on the door, okay? No peace and quiet. But that, see, that's how hope works. Hope is always based on a promise. Okay? It's always based on a promise. Money, family, popularity, success, okay? all of those things promise something. And when you believe in the promise, you place your hope in that thing. When you believe in the promise, you place your hope in that thing, and then that hope drives the decisions you make. Now, there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things we could put our hope in. So here, up on the screen, I've got just a few. Money, career, success, relationships, family, kids, reputation, education, social justice, control, fun, comfort. All of those things are things that promise something. And when we believe that promise, we place our hope in this thing. Okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing any of these things. All of these things can be good things. I'm not going to do the pastor thing and say, 
you should only place your hope in Jesus Christ and, and renounce all of this, okay? Because, because you know in church the answer is always Jesus. When you're in Sunday school and the Sunday school teacher asks you what's white, fluffy, with big ears and a cotton tail, the answer is Jesus. Because okay? in church the answer is always Jesus, okay? But see, see, it's not that simple. It's not that simple because there are actually two types of hope. Did you know that? There are two types of hope, okay? Some of you have placed your hope in money. You have placed your hope. You work hard to earn money, to provide for your family, to live comfortably, maybe help out your parents. So you earn money to do some of those things. So, and those are all good things. Those are what, what, what we'll call general hope general hope. Because see, the thing is, I want all of, those, all of those for you as well. I hope you, that you are in a job or you're able to land a job where you can provide for your family, where you can help out your parents, where if you have kids, where your kids can, can grow up safe and fed and cared for and educated. I want that for you. That's not a bad thing to want that. Okay? Okay. But I don't want you to sacrifice your family, sacrifice your integrity, or worse, sacrifice your faith to accomplish that. See, when that happens, then we move into a different type of hope. Then we move into something that we can call our ultimate hope. That's our ultimate hope. That's the thing that you believe will give you meaning, will give you purpose, will give your life significance. That's the, that's the thing that you believe will finally make you feel loved. Okay? It's when we put our ultimate hope in something. That's when things go bad. Because that this ultimate hope is essentially, it is the big hope that you put all the other general hopes, all the other little hopes on. And if you place your ultimate hope in the wrong thing, you're going to be disappointed. Because people make lousy gods. Things make lousy gods. And to put your faith in any one of these things or people or jobs or possessions, to place our ultimate hope in that, we are bound to be disappointed. I opened the service when I came here to say welcome with this idea that there are things in this world that promise hope, but a lot of them don't deliver. That whole list up on the screen there, none of that delivers ultimate hope. They will always disappoint you. So, why all this talk about hope? Well, We're talking about the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to look at the very last two lines of it. And these last two lines center on the hope. In fact, these last two lines have been the source of Christian hope for the last 2,000 years. But in the modern church, particularly in the modern Western church, we've kind of lost sight of this a little bit. We tend to focus more on the here and now for justice for the oppressed, life here and now, and we forget that there's more to the life than the here and now. 
And so these two lines, these last two lines of the Apostles' Creed, these are what Christians have placed their ultimate hope in for a couple thousand years. And so it's the lines that say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So today we're going to talk about the end. The end of time. The end of our world as we know it. But it's also the beginning. It's the beginning of God's restored world. It's the beginning of a new way to relate to God. So it is an end. But it's also a beginning. So let's look at the first part, the resurrection of the body. Now, the resurrection, first Jesus' resurrection, and then our believer's resurrection. This has been, this is a major theme throughout the, throughout the New Testament, okay? Jesus talked about his resurrection. He talked about the resurrection of the dead. Okay, Peter preached it. Nearly every sermon recorded in, in Acts that Peter preached, he preached the resurrection. Paul wrote about it regularly in his books. Over and over again, Paul wrote about the resurrection. So we're going to look at one of those books. One of those books, this this was a letter that he wrote to a church in a Greek city of Thessalonica. It's the book of Thessalonians, because I guess they figured that Thessalonikionians would be too weird to say. So it's the book of Thessalonians. And this Greek city, they they had a, a, a new church plant there, They had a young church, and there was a really interesting situation going on there that the believers, the believers in the church, fully believed that Jesus was coming back to take his followers up into heaven. They firmly believed that, but they were concerned. They were afraid that their friends and relatives who had already died would miss it. So it's like this idea that Jesus would come but only grab the living folks and be like, okay, let's go. Whew. Okay? So as I, I, I always laugh when I, I think about this passage because it kind of makes me think of like the Academy Awards and, and someone reads off you, that you won the award and like you're in the bathroom. Right? So the, the, the award for best actress goes to Meryl Streep. Meryl, are you in here? No. Okay, let's just go to the next one. This goes to Kristen Stewart for her range of emotions. Congratulations. That's kind of like what it feels like. That's what they were thinking. Like, wait, wait, if we're not here, we're going to miss it. And so Paul, in his letter to them, he, he wanted to reassure them that they weren't going to miss. People who had already died weren't going to miss the resurrection and, and going into heaven with Jesus. So... So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a few of the verses in there. If you want to follow along, so it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And much like a lot of Paul's writings, Paul was a very structured writer. And so a lot of his writings have very clear structure, and this one's no different. He has an opening. He has, I like to call it our topic sentence to go back to middle school writing. He has a topic sentence, and then he has a statement of theology then he goes into some descriptions, some details, and then finally a statement of application. So that's what we're going to look at here. Okay? We're going to start with his topic sentence. Okay? So here it is. Brothers and sisters, 
We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So there's his premise. There's his topic sentence is I want you to understand. I don't want you to be misinformed. So I want you to understand about death and resurrection. That's where he starts. Because he makes, the, he makes this statement that when you don't, when you miss the idea of correctly understanding death and resurrection, you grieve. You lose hope. Because see, back then, all the writings of the pagan world described death as a horrible event. It was a hopeless, miserable event, devoid of any hope whatsoever. That was the general perception of death at the time. So, so Paul's saying, listen, don't grieve like the other folks. Now, notice he doesn't say, don't grieve at all. So if you've, ever had, if you've been at a funeral and ever had someone quote this at you, you can come back to be like, no, no, no. He's not saying don't grieve. He's saying don't grieve like those who have no hope. So he begins this paragraph by making a direct connection between resurrection and hope. Now he moves into some theology. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And this idea of sleeping, that's that's a a metaphor, a common biblical metaphor for those who have died. So we believe that Jesus died and was resurrected. And because of that, he will come back and resurrect those who had died. That our bodily resurrection is because of, it is dependent on Jesus' bodily resurrection. He defeated death, so we can defeat death. But only if you are with Jesus. Only if you are living here now in life with Jesus. Now he gives some details. He gives a little bit of details. In particular, he provides a bit of a timeline because people must have been a little confused about what was actually going to happen. So here's a timeline he gives. It's a sequence of events. Here we go. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be be with the Lord forever. So there's a little timeline of of what some of these future events are going to, what they're going to look like. So first, Jesus will come down from heaven. And it's going to be loud. I don't know how loud, but it's going to be loud. Second, he will raise the dead. Those who, and this is at whatever time Jesus comes back. Whether it's this afternoon, whether it's 20 years from now, 200 years from now. We don't know. But when this time happens, first Jesus will come down and it's going to be loud. Everybody will know. There's no mistaking this. Second, he'll raise the dead. Those who, the, those who have died already. He will raise, and he will reunite their souls with their bodies. 
Then he will gather up his followers who are still alive. Then everybody goes up to heaven together. And then we will be with God forever. And then he closes. He closes with a really unusual application statement. But, you know, if you remember, if you remember how, how Paul started this, this paragraph, that you don't grieve without hope, then it's not quite so weird. We understand his theme of hope. He finishes with a single sentence. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Now, remember what I always say? Whenever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Okay? This, therefore, is connecting the theology and the timeline with the fact that it should give us hope. And then because of that, we should encourage each other. We should be encouragers of each other because as believers, we will not stay in the grave. We are meant to be encouragers. In fact, Christians should be the best encouragers on the planet. If you are not a great encourager of other people, this is one of your growing areas. This is one of your growing edges then. Because Christians, we should be the best encouragers on the planet. We should be givers of hope in the future. No matter how bleak our present looks, We should be givers of hope in the future. Now, we've all had times. We've all had times where we've lost hope. Okay, So it kind of happened to me once this week. I I was sitting reading the news, and if you spend any time reading the news, you know it does not take long to get very depressed. Okay, So I'm reading about crooked politicians, uh, global warming, men abusing women. Somehow Kylie Jenner is still in the news. And I was just getting depressed. And then I read the headline that sent me over the edge. I read read this headline. Man pulls out gun at McDonald's because they ran out of Egg McMuffins. I turned it before. I just said, I don't want to be in this world anymore. I'm done. (laughs) I am done. I'm out. Oh, goodness. She got up walked over to me and gave me a big hug and said, it'll be okay. That guy's a moron. No, but but she she gave me a big hug and said, "It'll, it'll be okay. She gave me encouragement when I needed it. So be encouragers of one another. Be encouragers. Okay, Give hope to each other. And especially if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Give hope to other followers of Jesus Christ. Because we have a great and glorious hope in the future. And whatever you're going through right now is small compared to an eternity. It's not to minimize it. It's not to minimize the pain that we that we go through regularly in life. But it's to say that that experience that pain, that frustration is small when we compare it to eternity. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you will have an eternity with God. 
That's what the Bible describes as life everlasting. So what would that life be like? I want to read you a passage out of, it's toward the, the, it's the second to last chapter in the book of Revelation. It's Revelation 21. And it's one of the most beautiful, hope-giving descriptions of what life everlasting looks like. So if you want to turn to it, it's Revelation 21. And it'll be up on the screen. This is what we can place our ultimate hope in. This is the apostle, this is John, who's writing this kind of as a first-hand account of what he received from the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry, fishermen. Don't know why. I like the ocean also. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have chosen to follow him, there will come a day when all of your suffering ends. All the bad that we experience here in this life ends. All your pain, all your weakness, all your failures will be no more. Your body that consistently betrays you by getting sick or getting fat, that body will be renewed and restored and will no longer get sick and no longer get fat. Woohoo! Donuts for everyone. <laughs> this world, this world that has fallen, that is marked by sin, will be renewed, created in the way that God created it in the very beginning. And all the stuff that we hate in this world, prejudice, sexism, violence, selfishness, all of that, gone. The old things are passed away. You'll no longer have to long for God because God will be living with us. That's what we place our hope in. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. That is the foundation of Christian hope. Now, I know some of you, as you hear this, you're like, that's great, that's amazing. I I believe in Jesus. I am so looking forward to heaven. But things are pretty crappy right now. Believing in heaven doesn't solve my problems now. I still have have to deal with bad bosses, and I have to deal with 
losing loved ones. And I have to deal with sickness and illness and selfishness and anger and all of that I still have to deal with. Okay? I have pain right now. Now, the foundation of Christian hope cannot change what you're going through, what you experience now. But it can give you a little bit of perspective. Now, so our average age around river life here is about 30, um, maybe 31 by now. And so for those of you who are about that age, I've got some BBs here. This little BB represents one whole year of your life. I couldn't buy enough BBs to have this represent a day. So this represents an entire year of your life. So those who are around 30, here's a little picture of what your life is. Okay? Now let's say if you're lucky, we, we, we lived 85 or 90, we have a good life. We live a full life. Here's what your life at 80, 85 or 90 looks like. Jesus returns and invites his followers into heaven to join life everlasting, experience an eternity with God. That's day one of eternity. I can't make the bad stuff go away. And God never promises to make the bad stuff go away. But what he promises is the stuff we deal with here is literally a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And when we set our hearts on eternity, when we set our minds on eternity, all the junk is still there. It just feels smaller. And when we lose sight of that, when all of a sudden all of our energy is put toward that, and that's a whole year, no matter what you're going through, the worst of what you're going through, there will come a time in the future when you don't experience that's the same pain you are experiencing right now. But sometimes we get so trapped in that that we forget this. We forget what eternity really is. So there's, there's a classic song called Turn your eyes on Jesus. It's been redone by everyone who sings Christian music. And, um, and the final verse of it. Actually, no, sorry. This is the chorus. I want to read you the chorus. 
Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's why these lines of the Apostles' Creed are so important. Because they remind us of this. When we get stuck on that, and this isn't to minimize your pain, minimize my pain. The pain is real. But in light of eternity, the pain is much smaller. The misery, the suffering, the heartache, the hardship is so much smaller. And imagine losing hope over that. Imagine losing your faith over that when you have this. But we see people do that all the time. I've seen people do that, and it breaks my heart to see people lose their integrity, lose their faith over this. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And that's what gives us hope. So we're going to close the service like we have each week by reading the Apostles' Creed together. And this is actually the first time where we all get to read the entire creed together. And so if you believe these things, these foundations of the Christian faith, if you believe this, now is your time to say it. To say it out loud, to say it loudly and proudly, to, to fight against the lies that we hear all around us, the bad theologies out there, in churches and outside of churches. And so now's your time. And, and you know what? And if you're not a believer, and, or if you don't believe some of these things, that's okay. All of us are on a journey of believing. And so you can, you can stay seated. You can stand up with everyone else and just listen. Um, you can skip a line if you're not sure you quite believe that. But for those followers of Christ, for those Christians here, my encouragement is now's your time. These are the foundations of the Christian faith. And now's your time to join in a couple thousand years of Christians around the globe who are professing their beliefs. So go ahead and stand up with me. We're going to put, pull it up on the screen here. And we're going to read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting.
Go and be seated. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have prepared a place for us. God, I thank you that this world isn't the end of us. God, I thank you. It is amazing that you have chosen. You want to spend an eternity with us. And to do that, we say yes to Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord he said he was. That he is the Savior he said he was. That he resurrected like he said he would. And his disciples said it. God, and and that because he resurrected, he defeated death, we can too. God, so I pray for everyone in here who is going through a hard time with sickness, with failure, with anger, with violence, with depression. God, be close to them. God, Holy Spirit, be extra close to comfort. Bring, Bring peace and comfort into them and into their situation. Lord, and help all of us see that the things we go through in this life are really small when we compare it with an eternity with you. So let us be heaven-minded people. And so I thank you, and I thank you that you love us not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who defeated death so that we can too. I pray in his name, amen.